Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 5th of April 2011. For newcomers to the, this program here, please look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the audios. There's hundreds of them to choose from where I try and give you shortcuts to understanding this incredibly big picture, this big system into which you're born uh, that's completely different from the one you're taught to believe in by the media, the ongoing daily media. And uh, I show you the big organizations, I go into some of their history to show you how they were formed, who formed them, and the fact that they planned an awful long time ago to take over the world, all its resources and so on, and run the world the way it should be run. They're going to perfect all that was that was left imperfect, as they love to say amongst themselves. And that includes humanity itself, all of it, everything. That's why I've got the GM uh, modification of uh, plants, animals, and eventually us as well. So that's all to do with uh, re or, or perfecting that which is left imperfect. And of course, what to them is, is also imperfect is free will. Free will amongst the ordinary people is just a, a no-no. You cannot have free will amongst the ordinary people. So we're given a fake reality to believe that we still have free will and to believe that we also have choices and to believe that we also have rights, even though if you've lived long enough, you'll notice we have no rights whatsoever. We're under martial law, basically, and a totalitarian-type system. We've watched the plundering of countries by the big banks, We've watched the banks get rewarded by the governments that you think you're you're taught to believe they're there to serve you. And it's nothing of the kind. So look into the websites, and as I say, hopefully you'll start to glean some ideas of reality, the higher realities of how the system is truly run. And remember, too, to buy the books and discs I have for sale because I don't bring on advertisers as guests. And you can uh, keep me going, hopefully, a little bit longer because this is a hard way to do it. I've watched people down the years try this method and they always fail. However, Scotland, uh, the patron saint of Scotland is the, the patron saint of lost causes, so here I am. Anyway, uh, as I say, the books can be ordered from the U.S. to Canada by personal check, by uh, international postal money order, and by PayPal. Just use the donation button on the com site and uh, follow it by an email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Some people just send cash across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, PayPal again to order. And don't forget to give straight donations as well, because even a dollar here or there for the th- many, many thousands who tune in here uh, would certainly add up. And believe you me, this, I don't get thousands of one dollar uh, uh, PayPals every month either, or any month for that matter. So it's up to you to help me keep going. And if you like what you're hearing, uh, uh, you can support me. I try to go into this whole... Uh, new world order, not by what's happening just today, because you see every day there's new crisis churned out for you to get frantic about and that's why you're kept in a, in a tizzy, you're, you're running in circles trying to make head and, and tails of what's happening and uh, the next day there's another bunch of crisis 
uh, churned out for you too. Do you realize at the bottom level we never get any truth on anything? And I really mean that. We get no truth whatsoever on anything. That's the standard way of what they call governance. That was even advocated back in Francis Bacon's day when he was uh, being an advisor to royalty. And he wrote a kind of resume to King James and and he advised him, he says, never tell the public your real intentions for doing anything whatsoever. Give them a different story, and that's good enough for us. And it hasn't changed today. Today, all government works through public relations companies. All departments of governments work through public relations companies. And they ensure that you're kept in a fake reality, which they call in the dark, where mushrooms belong. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. And just today, as all, all days really, I always think about all the, the big eugenicists and the quotes and how they've talked about bringing down the population. It all ties in with Agenda 21. That's Agenda for the 21st Century. You'll find it at the United Nations website. And the Millennium Projects, it's all part of the same system of rewelding the planet and depopulating the planet as well of all the useless eaters, as Bertrand Russell and others call them. Uh, that's all most of us, you see. Those who haven't made the grade and got up to the top of uh, academia, or uh, and I mean really at the top of academia, and uh, those who haven't made it to the top in the financial sector and held on to the cash for a few generations to prove that your offspring, you see, are carrying the right kind of genes because it's all to do with genetics and so on. At least that's how they rationalize it to themselves at the top. And there's nothing new about this at all. Of course, the, the pharaohs did the same thing. They used to marry their sisters sometimes to keep everything in the family. And money and power marries money and power. And even tribal leaders would would uh, often give their daughters away and their, or their sons away to an opposite tribe for marriage reasons. And they'd marry more money and so on. And it was the same thing all through the European system, too, with the Normans. Same idea as well. They still intermarry themselves today to keep power and wealth together amongst themselves. So it's interesting to see how this is related. And a lot of them ended up as kings and queens of countries, of course, who still marry amongst themselves with their cousins. But you'll find, too, that there also was an economic factor to them or a sect to them that also, like the Rothschilds, who literally... Um, became a sort of royalty over cash and central banking. And that was really what they went out to do. And they marry their own nieces and so on and keep power and, and, and money amongst themselves again. Nothing new in eugenics at all, except for the fact that they also attend and fund big future planning committees to make sure that the, the future will unfold the way they want it to unfold to suit themselves, that is, uh, they plan things like industrial revolutions, even yet in up-and-coming up countries, emerging nations, as they call them. And they also uh, like to f- fund certain sciences as well to make sure, you see, if anything happens on a, a disastrous scale, uh, that they themselves will survive. And that's why we know darn well uh, from many releases that have come out since the Cold War uh, that all countries across the planet have uh, elite underground uh, bunkers. Some of them are like cities, actually, 
for the ultra ultra wealthy to live out whatever they have to live out, where it's nuclear radiation, for instance, or atomic warfare with radiation, or even being struck by an asteroid. They cover every possible base. It's just astonishing how uh, science and the top scientists are employed by these people to go over, with their big think tanks, to go over every possible scenario that could possibly happen to ensure what they call survival of the race. And when they say survival of the race, they're not talking about you. And I remember, too, I've I've gone over this scenario so many times where Darwin, who was put forward by the Royal Society, a a Masonic scientific organization that was given a charter to exist on behalf of the Crown, uh, whose whose first project, by the way, was to make a glass um, beehive in the grounds in the house that they used for their experiments to, to study how the perfect system would be, to study the bees that represented, of course, humanity itself, where your queens and kings, or really queens at the top, I guess they're all queens now, but anyway, um, in one sense or another, and the drones, the type of priests, and then, of course, all the workers down below, and how everything was so well organized, everyone knew their job, and that there were no dead weight was carried, anything that was infirm, uh, was simply killed off, stung to death, or tossed out the hive, whatever it was. That's the perfect society that they go by. And Darwin also gave uh, uh, the idea that um, of an example of an oak tree, for instance. He says uh, that before the oak tree can grow, or even that the acorn can, can take, take uh, roots there, uh, microorganisms have to come into the area before the animals might graze over it, take up the grass, in come the organisms, even some fungus, fungus at times too, and prepares that soil and uh, worms come in, insects come in, they all come and go in little waves, then they get eaten up too. In other words, everything gets eaten up in turn after it's done its job in order for that acorn to grow and or take seed. Now, a root, now the thing is too, he's talking about humanity. Because you see, they go through their histories in their own fashion with their own archives. And they talk about slavery existing in all generations, in one form or another. The great Charles Galton Darwin, relative of Charles Darwin, um, in the 1950s, he, he was a physicist, worked on the Manhattan Project. He uh, came out and said the same thing too. Uh, that there's, there's been, a, in his own book, The Next Million Years, you can find it there, he said there's always been slavery in one form or another, and we are now in the process of creating a more sophisticated form of slavery. It's actually called democracy, if you haven't figured that out, where you think you've got rights and stuff like that. But it's really a, a form, a system where specialists will, will decide everything for you but through government agencies and laws and fines and force, if need be. That's what he's really talking about. And plus, most of your money that comes in, this disposable income right now, will be gone off in taxes and fees. We know it's going to be carbon taxes, energy taxes, and your, your basic foodstuffs are going way up through the roof right now. So, in other words, substance, substance living, basically just, uh, just living and getting by on, on the basics is, is the system they're bringing in. The rest is to go off in taxes to support the big think tanks and projects for the elite, as you well know. So anyway, it's, it's never stopping. And I, I kept thinking that today because I thought, well, when you look at what's happening in Japan, uh, it's gone against all the rules for massive atomic leakages or meltdowns because it's supposed to start filling them in right away. You can't stop them. 
And it hasn't happened yet. They're still pumping billions of gallons into the, the sea of radioactive water. That's now millions of times above any safety limit. And no one's telling them to stop it and, and just bury the things like they did at Chernobyl. That was the only way they started to bring down uh, immediately uh, the radiation levels was to bury them and encase them in concrete, which is due, by the way, to be dug up this year, I think it is, and replaced. It's going to cost billions of dollars just to do that. But that's what has to be done. But you see, why would they drag it on so long? He's a private company, supposedly, uh, running the show there uh, on behalf of the whole planet, because we're all at stake here, getting to do what they want to do, and they're dragging it on as long as they can possibly do it. Well, what does it do? We know, number one, there's going to be a lot of a lot of cancers out there. We know there's going to be an awful lot of sterility out there. And within a couple of years to 15 years, you're going to start to see uh, all the different types of the cancers and leukemias uh, start to emerge. And, of course, the medical profession, just like it's already done, up till this present time, we'll churn out a new batch of doctors who are, who are trained to believe that, that cancers, early cancers, are now very common. And it's always been common. That's what they'll be taught. Just like the present doctors are churned out thinking that one in two is going to die of a cancer. Whereas doctors 30 years ago were turned out, and they knew that certain cancers were very, very rare. Now they're very common. The young doctors don't know that. They think they've been taught the cutting edge of science. That's how you control each generation, quite easily, through academia. So anything can be normalized. And as I say, this is going to definitely hit the population across the world. Already is, obviously, somewhere under clouds of it, even still going across Canada. And we see the nonsense uh, as they raise all the standards, acceptable standards for radiation of all kinds, up, to, up through the roof until we've got new normals that should technically be lethal to us. And we see that the farce of them all, uh, even the EPA, I'll put a link up tonight to the EPA, where they've actually said that so many of the radiation monitors are not working properly because they're recording spikes. Well, when they record spikes, that's, that's generally the alpha or gamma waves coming in. And that's why they spike. So what they're going to do is take them away and fix them so it won't show the spikes. That's how they fix things for the public, you see. So I'll put that link up tonight. And then back to eugenics, because... Rockefeller, remember, who's one of the main, their, their family, their intergenerational um, nihilists, basically, in a sense. They've got this great uh, mission, it seems to be, and I mean that, it's a mission. Certain families have missions from these very, very wealthy families, not just to grab the resources of the world and the power of money and so on and politicians that they can buy and sell, but also they have a mission to depopulate the planet and bring it into this pristine wilderness, pre-1700s, basically, is what they've said in their own writings. And that's why they're rewilding uh, North America with uh, mountain lions and pumas and all the rest of it as we're still alive. That's why, folks, if you haven't figured out out, they're doing it, because they know you're not going to be around forever. And they're also testing out how these things will survive, and they can create many, many more from their cryogenics labs. They have three big arcs across the world. That's been on public broadcasting television for the last few years, where they store literally the, uh, every, every kind of life form on this planet in the sperm and ovum uh, variety. They keep them deep frozen, and they have brought them back and fertilized them very successfully, and even used uh, different kinds of animals to be the carriers of pregnancy, and they can give birth to them quite easily.
We've watched them also store food uh, in the island of Nor- Norway, uh, the, the seeds of natural plants and so on. And believe you me, they'll have more than that place across the world. An awful lot more than that. Because they always know something's coming. And isn't it amazing from 9-11 to get their new American century through the 21st century uh, and and the, the century of change. This is the change where academia and science will rule the world as supposed to be on behalf of their financial masters. And they needed that to kick off. The towers came down, bang, bang, and the whole world goes, the whole world goes into martial law. Think about it. The whole world goes into martial law because two buildings came down in the U.S. That took an awful lot of preparation and negotiation between countries for that to happen. Or years prior. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about eugenics and how it's, it's so amazing that every th- part of their plans that the big boys make and publish actually what they want to happen just happens to happen uh, right on cue too. They get what they want one way or another. They also use anything outside of their control to their advantage. That's one of their favorite sayings. We can use, how can we use this disaster to our advantage? And if you've noticed right now, so much of the so-called green agenda, and the Greens remember, um, put out some good stuff and an awful lot of nonsense too because, you see, they're funded by the big bankers via foundations for, for the social changes that the big bankers want as well. So there's no really real right-wing or left-wing at all in this system. But you find, as I say, uh, that um, so many things are getting ran through right now. Laws to do with, uh, again, vehicles. They want them off the road by 2050. They're not, they're not going to start by at 2050. By 2050, that means from here on onwards, we're going to have massive increases, not just in gasoline, but in all kinds of taxes to drive your car. They've already put through various um, laws, or they think they've got them on the drafting board, basically, to uh, tax you per mile or per kilometer. And that was even discussed years ago because these guys just pull out the, late, the stuff they put away in the shelves years ago, blow off the dust and reproduce it for, for the time, and the time, of course, is now. It's all done a long time ago. But, as I say, it, it ties in with eugenics because a long time ago, the eugenics movement really was part of this big um, scientific push on behalf of, again, uh, the same crew that, that funded Cecil Rhodes, which is the Rothschilds in Britain, that became the Royal Institute of International Affairs when it merged with the other bankers led by Milner. And they, they wanted to depopulate after they took over this world. Even they, they wrote about it too, how they could, they could make a kind of paradise on earth with much fewer people. They employed hack writers like, like H.G. Wells to write interesting little stories, little catch stories, and to add certain data in there that would alter the people's perceptions of things. So they'd actually go along with it, too. And we we also find that the big eugenic societies um, that we thought were all dead have never been dead at all. They simply changed their names and the other things, other, other orders, organizations, and they've been carrying on with your government funding, by the way, uh, because, you see, the governments are not there to serve you at all. They just use your tax money. That's your purpose at the moment is to pay taxes 
and, uh, and to fund these organizations so that they can eventually get rid of you. Now, this article here is from The Telegraph. It goes into this to an extent using uh, Niall Ferguson's brilliant, his impeccably right-wing analysis. It's not right-wing at all, but again, Dunning Poe must play the right-winger. There's no right-wing or left-wing in this system, by the way. Of why it is that the West is going to hell in the handcart just it gets better and better. It's in the latest episode, he explores how the roots of the Holocaust lay in a dry-run genocide carried out by the Germans. And he says, who else? Well, the English were doing it before the Germans. In German southwest Africa, now Mabibia, in the 1900s against the Herero and Namak natives. Around 80% of the former tribe and 50% of the latter were brutally massacred, with many of the survivors sent to concentration camps where the racial characteristics were studied by proto-Dr. Mengele's as part of the fashionable new scientific field popularized by Francis Galton, and that was eugenics. I should add, too, that Britain was already doing it uh, in the Boer War because they were the ones who first came up with the concentration camps uh, for the Dutch settlers. And they were doing it in Scotland long before that, but that's another story. Now, it also says here, uh, the important point to note is that 100 years ago, work like Galton's was at the cutting edge of scientific research. And you should always remember that whatever's the latest is, is the godlike decree, and that's how science runs. Racism wasn't some backward-looking reactionary ideology. It was a state of the art, and people then believed in it as readily as people today buy the theory of man-made climate change. This is what Ferguson said. Obviously, if you're a believer in the church of climatism, this will sound like a monstrous slur, but it does also have the virtue of being true. As I note in my really quite soon-to-be-published book, uh, Watermelons, the values of the eugenics movement and of the modern green movement are closely connected. Actually, Rockefeller brought them both together many years ago. Here, for example, is a popular 50s environmentalist called Harrison Brown in a book called The Challenge of Man's Future, published in 1954, discussing how to make the human species healthier. Uh, Thus, we could sterilize or in other ways discourage the mating of the feeble-minded. We could go further and systematically attempt to prune from society by prohibiting them from breeding persons suffering from serious inheritable forms of physical defects, such as congenital deafness, dumbness, blindness, or absence of limbs. Actually, they've gone way beyond that. Now they even talk about allergies. Uh, Brown, you've gathered, was a keen eugenicist. Well, fine, so were lots of people back then. Despite the setback, their junk science philosophy experience with the end of Nazi Germany. But the point about Brown is that he was not just some ordinary bloke of no consequence. He was and is revered by many in the modern Green Movement as a key politi- uh, philosophical guru. Amongst his biggest admirers is John Holdren, the green activist who is now President Obama's director of the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, a.k.a. his science czar. In 1986, Holdren edited and co-wrote an, an homage entitled Earth and the Human Future, Essays in Honor of Harrison Brown, in which he claimed 30 years after Harrison Brown elaborated these positions, it remains difficult to improve on them as a coherent depiction of the perils and challenges we face. Brown's accomplishment is in writing. The challenge of man's future, of course, was not simply constructing of his sweeping scheme for understanding the human predicament. More remarkable was and is the combination of logic, thoroughness and clarity, etc., etc. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Reading an article here uh, by Dellingpole from The Telegraph, uh, and he's quoting from a book um, by Ferguson. And they're also exposing in the book how uh, we, we find people in charge like John Holdren today, the science czar of Obama, uh, writing, a, 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 a writing in praise, basically, of a top eugenicist who wanted the state uh, to sterilize people com- by compulsion and uh, tests everyone before they'd have offspring for to make sure they had the, the, the proper kind of genes to have offspring, not the bad kind of genes, and so on. And that's, that man's name uh, was Harrison Brown. And that's what uh, Holdren said. It says, 30 years after Harrison Brown elaborated these positions, it remains difficult to improve on them as a coherent depiction of the perils and challenges we face Brown's accomplishment in writing The Challenge of Man's Future, of course, was not simply the construction of this sweeping schema for understanding the human predicament. More remarkable was and is the combination of logic, thoroughness, and clarity and force which he marshaled data and argumentation on every element of the problem and of their interconnections. It's a book, in short, that should have reshaped permanently the perceptions of all serious analysts. As author of this damning essay on the subject notes, as recently as 2007, Holdren was reiterating his admiration for Harrison Brown's noxious views. Now, you better be very concerned when guys like this are placed uh, as an advisory capacities uh, to presidents and prime ministers, because Britain's got them too, these unelected, these new boards of officials unelected of of so-called scientists. It says, Holdren, let it be not forgotten, is also the author of this chilling paragraph from a book he wrote in 73 with a fellow neo-Malthusian doom-monger, uh, uh, Paul Ehrlich, with his wife Anne Ehrlich, uh, called Human Ecology Problems and Solutions. And in the book it says, a massive campaign must be launched to restore a high-quality environment in North America and to de-develop the United States. As I say, that's why they're rewelding you under Agenda 21 and so on. And, and your, your factories have all gone off to China. Resources and energy must be diverted from frivolous and wasteful uses in overdeveloped countries to filling the genuine needs of underdeveloped countries. The effort must be largely political, done through politics and treaties, obviously. So thank you, Neil Ferguson, for totally getting it. The sooner sufficiently large numbers of people are aware that, for all its fluffy pretensions, the Green Movement is rooted in pessimism, grotesque misanthropy, and rabid anti-capitalism. The sooner we'll be able to consign it to the dustbin of history next to all those other bad ideas that seemed so good to so many idiots at the time. Eugenics, for example. And uh, as I say, don't get lost with right-wing, left-wing capitalism, communism. It's all the same thing because the same boys at the top ran it all and created them, actually. But there you go. Eugenics is alive and well. And a lot of them are cheering, actually, at the top because of the radiation that's spilling across the planet. You see, in reality, there are three levels of reality, physics and and, uh, biology and so on, Uh, even pharmacology. I've already mentioned some higher drugs that the elites take in these times that uh, supposedly prevent the genes from uh, altering when they're, they're hit with radiation. 
and in other words, they can stop being uh, mutated. They just simply um, reproduce themselves as before. But there's much higher drugs than that that are guaranteed to work, and you'll never hear of those ones, folks. They haven't sat on their, their hands for the last 60 or 70 years waiting for something to happen because the elite's first tenet is their own survival. They make sure that all work has gone into searching, not research, but searching for all the things to make themselves, to ensure their own survival. Now, this ties in with an article that came out at the same time. These are all coming out at the same time under this massive crisis that's going on, because uh, you can slip so many th- much stuff through. Stop having children instead of bleating about conservation, says wildlife expert. Human beings must stop having children if they want to save the planet's endangered species, according to the leading wildlife expert. And it says, Chris Packham, the BBC presenter, said the government should offer financial rewards to couples to opt to remain childless. Setting out his radical approach, Packham said, there's no point bleating about the future of pandas, polar bears and tigers when we're not addressing the one single factor that's putting more pressure on the ecosystem than any other, namely the ever-increasing size of the world's population. And then it goes on to the usual quotes. I read the other day that by 2020, there are going to be 70 million people in Britain. Let's face it, that's too many. Well, actually, see, most of that in Britain already at the moment are from immigration. Let's get the other side of the story to the first world countries here. The reason first world countries are, are, are being flooded is because they say there's not enough people having children to pay off the debts. Huh? How about that, Chris Packham? You don't mention the other reality. You understand how a perception can be altered by omission? Hmm? And they do it all the time, these characters. He says, I wouldn't actually penalize people for having too many children as I think the carrot always works better than the stick. So I guess we're just a bunch of rabbits. But I would offer them a tax break for having small families, say 10% of your tax bill, if you decide to stick with just one child and an even bigger financial incentive if you choose not to have a family at all. I question the way, for example, people have two children with one partner, then split up and have two with their next partner just to even up the score. Really. Fact is, we all eat food, breathe air, require space, and the more of us there are, the less of those commodities there are for other people and, of course, for the animals. And remember, this world order is to be a world order. So they must flood the first world countries in as their own populations are declining. To make it seem that we're, we're, we're overcrowded everywhere. They're not building bigger cities, by the way. They're just crowding more and more and more folk in them until eventually you'll look like they used to show you in, in India. They'd show you somewhere in Delhi, for instance, the same old street, but crowded it was. They don't show you that most of India is jungle and forest and, and very few folk living anywhere. Perception again, isn't it? This is uh, Packham... Uh, uh, Packer Kamet says he has no children of his own but does have a 16-year-old stepdaughter. The co-host of the BBC Spring Watch program said that everyone must do their bit for their environment. If I didn't recycle the shop locally uh, and shop locally, I couldn't see the point in being human. Well, I don't think you are human, mate, because, you see, you don't have the right to tell any other creature what to do. See, you're not elected, you see, to anything, and, and no one's given their vote to you. And I wonder what boards you sit on and who funds those boards. Let me take a guess. Hmm? And this ties in with another one here. This article came out of the Telegraph. Test children's genes before they have sex. You see how they're on a roll right now? And so many articles are actually related. And many folk will read these little articles in between other bits of news. And because of the, the overflow of data they get, they don't really 
realize that these are all coming out at the same time, obviously for a reason, to alter the way that you think about things. Test children's genes before they have sex. Children should be encouraged to undergo genetic testing before they become sexually active to check whether they could pass on hidden abnormalities to their offspring, a government advisory group will say this week. It's all done in advance, you see. But that ties in with what I just read there about Brown, the guy that uh, Neil Ferguson was talking about, that John Holdren holds up as the high guru of environmentalism and sustainability. So here they want to do their same old thing they've been talking about for over a hundred years, where the state will interfere and say who can breed and who shall not breed. That's what it's about. The test raised questions about the extent to which doctors should intervene in nature. The Human Genetic Commission. Now, who are the Human Genetic Commission? Did you even know you had one? will recommend that so-called preconception tests should be much more widely available. The screening allows specialists to see if potential parents are, are hidden carriers of genetic conditions. Now, this whole science is proven to be bogus over and over again when you look at the actual science and the data and so on. It's bogus because they can't predict it at all if you're going to get a particular disease whatsoever. They say you might be prone to this, you might be prone to that. And and you might not be, that also means you might not be prone to this or that, you see. (laughs) The the tests raise questions about the extent to which doctors should intervene in nature, suggesting that children have their genetic makeup analysed will be added to the controversy. The commission was asked in 2009 to review the ethical and legal questions surrounding preconception testing and will present its findings to the Department of Health this week. It's concluded that there are strong reasons to make preconception testing widely available to anyone who needs it, based on the principle that parents should have the maximum information and autonomy over the reproductive decisions. Sure, this is a foot in the door, folks, and eventually it will become mandatory. And then when you look into this, this, this particular group on their home page, and I'll put all these links up tonight at cuttingthroughmates.com. Who are they? It says, well, we are the UK government's advisory body on new developments in human genetics and how they impact on individual lives. We give the government advice on human genetics with a particular focus on the social, ethical and legal issues. One of our key roles is to promote debates and to listen to what the public and their stakeholders have to say. Now, are the public, you understand that's separate from their stakeholders. Who are their stakeholders? Hmm? Well, they're the guys that own you folks and the guys that pay this private company. Apart, they also get funding from your tax money. We are committed to openness and transparency, they say. Well, tell us who your stakeholders are. Tell us who's back in you. Hmm? The commission is made of 21 members, including experts, experts again in genetics, ethics, law, and consumer affairs. The chair is Professor Jonathan Montgomery. We also have a consultative panel of people who have different experience of living uh, with genetic conditions and to act as a sounding board for our reports and recommendations. So... You have to go through a Freedom of Information Act to get any more stuff on these characters. But so genetics is, uh, and eugenics is alive and well, and they're on a roll to depopulate. Because remember, Mr. Rockefeller called for that last year. He says, we've got to stop just looking at uh, uh, pregnancy prevention and abortion. He says, we've got to now go into a phase of rapid depopulation. I wonder if he knew this thing was going to go happen in Japan. I just wonder, you know. Never, never dismiss anything at all. Makes you wonder, folks, because they always seem to get what they want. And it's interesting too uh, that um, 
I was thinking about the x-rays as you're going through all these machines. Now, many doctors aren't going through these x-ray machines because they, they're, they're wary of being... This is a full-body x-ray you're getting here. It's not just a little dental x-ray or something like that. And science always rushes ahead with all of its great ideas. This article is something about a shoe-fitting x-ray device. It used to be popular in America. It says in the late 40s and early 50s, the shoe-fitting x-ray um, unit was a common shoe store sales promotion device, and nearly all stores had one. It was estimated there were over 10,000 of the devices in use. This particular shoe-fitting x-ray unit was produced by the dominant company in the field, the Adrian X-Ray Company of Milwaukee, and now defunct. Uh, it says... Um, Brooks Stevens, a noted industrial designer whose works included the Milwaukee Road Olympian and an Oscar Mayer Weiner Mobile, designed the machine. It says the primary component of a shoe-fitting X-ray unit was a fluoroscope. They called it a fluoroscope, which consisted of extension of an X-ray tube mounted near the floor and wholly or partly enclosed in a shielded box in a fluorescent screen. The X-rays penetrated the shoes and the feet and then, uh, and then struck the fluorescent light. Uh, the resulting in, in an image of the feet within the shoes. The fluorescent image was reflected to three viewing ports at the top of the cabinet, where the customer, the salesperson, and a third person could view the image at the same time. The radiation hazards associated with shoe-fitting X-ray units were recognized as early as 1950. The machines were often out of adjustment. Now, isn't that what they said about these X-ray ones, that when, when they went around and tested them? Some of them are hundreds of times way out of adjustment, way too high. And the same with this thing here, it says the machines were often out of adjustment and were constructed so radiation leaked into the surrounding area. By 1970, the shoe-fitting X-ray units had been banned in 33 states, including Minnesota, and strict regulation of maintaining uh, remaining 17 states uh, made their operation impractical. Believe it or not, this particular shoe-fitting X-ray unit was found in 1981 in a department store in Madison, West Virginia. It was still being used in the store's shoe department. When it was pointed out to the store manager it was against the, the, the law to operate a shoe-fitting x-ray unit, they donated it to the U, U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and you can actually look it up yourself. Uh, and here's an article here about it too. About this. It's called the Straight Dope, um, uh, Straight Dope Classics. It says, where those old shoes uh, store fluoroscopes a health hazard. And you scroll down, it says, studies suggest that cases of radiation-induced leukemia tend to peak 17 to 15 years after exposure. So if you've made it through this far, you're probably okay. Count yourself lucky. The nation's 10,000 shoe store fluoroscopes were notoriously poor regulating, poorly regulated during their heyday in the 40s and 50s. The U.S. Public Health Service said the average device emitted between 7 and 14 rontgens per, per dose. But one study found that some machines emitted as much as 160 rontgens. Uh, for comparison, a person standing within 1,500 meters of ground zero at Hiroshima got hit with more than 300 rontgens, uh, admittedly throughout their entire bodies, not just their feet. Uh, there's a predictable relationship between X-ray exposure and excess cancer deaths. So we can safely say that some people died ahead of their time due to what was basically a sales gimmick. Shoe store fluoroscopes were typical of the careless and some cases flivorous attitudes towards X-rays that prevailed for decades. X-rays were once used to treat benign enlargements of the thymus, tonsils and adenoids. Very commonly we did this. For instance, triggering in many cases of thyroid cancer. Pregnant mothers and babies were routinely fluoroscoped by pediatricians, causing leukemia. In shoe stores, people really at risk weren't the customers, but the salespeople who were exposed to radiation on a daily basis. Both customer and salespeople, you may recall, had to lean over the cabinet of the fluoroscope to look down at the viewports. 
So, so there you are. Everyone knew in the past it was bad for you, but it's okay now to get these uh, frequent, if you're a frequent flyer, uh, full body scans of radiation. And it's okay. It's good radiation now, you see. Uh-huh. Quite something. It's amazing that Israel that sells them to us all, eh? It won't use them themselves. They said they're no use. Big business rules. But there's big reasons behind it, too. And part of it will be that, yeah, within 5, 15 years, you have all kinds of leukemias and stuff like that, which, and again, the medical profession will come out as they're trained to do when they let them go with the next batch in a new belief system in, in cancers. Well, it's quite normal. But cancer's always been like this. That's what they'll be taught. And they'll, they'll promote that too. That's what you find. Now, <laughs> a little article too about uh, Merkel from, uh, from Germany. Chancellor Jan- uh, Angela Merkel um, is meeting um, uh, with her Israeli counterpart Benjamin Netanyahu, and they're likely to discuss a German bank providing financial services to Iran when they meet this week, a source said Monday. Israel and the United States want Germany to shut down the bank, Hamburg-based EIH, seeing it supports the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> oh, Bush would be proud if he heard that again. By handling payments uh, to known participants in Iran's contentious nuclear program. As I would imagine the Iranian issue will be an agenda item, and among those I imagine that EIH would be an issue, an Israeli political source said, declining to be named. A big good assumption to say they will speak about it. So there's Israel and the U.S. Um, on behalf of Israel really uh, putting pressure on them to stop supplying money to that particular bank or draw that bank out of Iran. Because I've still got Iran to go on Syria yet. That was on the list from years ago. And... Um, they must plunder the oil and all the resources too, and then get them all fighting each other. That's what Brzezinski says. It's good to have them all fighting each other afterwards, get the different factions all hot and bothered, and get them arm them both, and they get them all fighting forever. Then they'll never be a country again. And then you can plunder them quite happily with a mercenary force protecting your oil rigs. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and to finish off, it's an article here, I've got, sorry to any callers, because the, the screen for callers isn't working today, maybe call tomorrow, try it again, but uh, this article here is from the EPA, and it says, radiation exposure debate rages inside the EPA, plan radically, uh, uh, to radically hike post-accident radiation and food and water sparks hot descent. They're doing the same thing, as I mentioned yesterday, in Europe, where they upped all the safety limits for food and water, way beyond uh, what I would consider a, a lethal dose, personally. But anyway, it says here, a plan awaiting approval by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency that would dramatically increase permissible radioactive releases in drinking water, food, and soil after radiological incidents drawing vigorous objections from agency experts, according to agency documents released today by public employees for environmental responsibility. Uh, at issue is acceptable level of public health risk following a radiation release, whether an accidental spill or a dirty bomb attack. The radiation arm of the EPA called the Office of Radiation and Indoor Air has prepared an update for the 90, of the 1992 Protective Action Guides. That was the standard one governing radiation protection decisions for both short-term and long-term cleanup standards. 
And it says here, this guidance would allow cleanup levels that exceed MCL's maximum contamination limits under the Safe Drinking Water Act by a factor of 100 and 1,000, and in two instances of 7 million. <laughs> so that's what they're going to up it to. And there is nothing to prevent those levels from being the final cleanup achieved. In other words, it's not confined to immediate responses of emergency phase, but that's what they're going to jack them up to. Another EPA official, Stuart Walker of the Office of Superfund Remediation and Technology and Innovation, explains what the proposed new radiation limits in drinking water would mean. It also appears that drinking water PAG concentrations may lead to subchronic acute effect following exposures of a day or a week in a population once you see some express acute effects that is vomiting, fever, etc. And I guess that's followed by diarrhea and your teeth falling out. Anyway, that's good work for dentists coming up. This critical debate is taking place entirely behind closed doors because this plan is guidance. That's great. This is an opaqueness in government, this new opacity they've got. You know, Obama um, signed a new one in secret recently behind locked doors, this opaqueness in, in government. And it says, and doesn't it require public notice, as a regulation would, as stated peer, uh, Council Christine Erickson. Today, peer sent the EP administrator, Lisa Jackson, a letter calling for a more open and broader examination of the proposed radiation guidance. We all deserve to know why some in the agency want to legitimize exposing the public to radiation to radiation at levels vastly higher than what the EPA officially considers dangerous. In other words, we've not to know. They can do it in secrecy. Isn't that great? And I guess unless you've got data saved from the old standards, which you better do now, by the way, you won't, you won't know when they come out next. We can tell you, oh, here's the normal. You'll think that has always been the normal ones. You see how they do it? It's down the memory hole. The internal documents show that under the updated PAG, a single glass of water could give a lifetime's permissible exposure. One glass. In addition, it would allow uh, long-term cleanup limits thousands of times more lax than anything EPA has ever before accepted. These new limits would cause a cancer in as much as every fourth person exposed, and probably, and I'd add to that, and everybody exposed, given enough years to go on. So that's what we're living in today, folks. Uh, depopulation, obviously, they get what they want one way or another. And we'll still work and pay taxes as we die off, and the media will keep us happy, busy, entertained, and so on, with lots and lots of trivia. But uh, it's time you see the people sat and debated about having a true form of government for a change. We haven't ever had one. I don't think we've ever had one in any country, to be honest, that ever served the people. Even the communist systems, same thing there. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods, go with you.